invite you to take your Bibles back and turn back to that Acts chapter 26 passage. We started a series last week on gospel U-turns. And in it we're asking a couple defining questions, seeking to answer them scripturally. The first one is, what does it mean to be a Christian? And secondly, how does someone become a Christian? We said last time that Christians are people who have taken or made a gospel U-turn. You might say, what is that, Pastor Walker? We're all familiar with U-turns with our cars. And you find yourself going in the completely opposite direction that you need to go. And you finally come to the realization that you're on the wrong road going the wrong way. And you make a U-turn. We're all familiar with that concept when it comes to our cars. A gospel U-turn is that very concept when it comes to our lives. That because of our sin and our unbelief that we find ourselves in life by choice on the wrong road, heading in the wrong direction. What we need to do, according to Scripture, is to take a gospel U-turn. In fact, that very language is used in our text. In 26, 18, and 20, uh, Paul talks about turning to God. And obviously, you'll see in the text that we're turning away from other things as we do that, as we pointed out last week. Another word, which is virtually synonymous with it, is also found in verse 20 when he says to repent. And that's really what a gospel U-turn is all about. It's repenting, repenting from your sin, repenting of your view of Jesus and who he is, and to him and to God and to worship him and give him the glory. Now, obviously, or at least in my opinion, the most popular or the most well-known or most famous gospel U-turn in the scriptures, and at least in the New Testament of that, is the Apostle Paul. It's like that commercial on TV, you see the before and the after, and what he, you know, the towel looks like this before they use the, you know, whatever it is, and then afterward it's all perfect and clean, and it's the before and after concept. That's what this text is about. It's about the Apostle Paul and his gospel U-turn, how he went from Saul to Paul, how he went from persecutor of Christians to uh, being persecuted as a Christian. He went from antagonist of Jesus to the apostle of Jesus. And this very testimony of him and the gospel U-turn that he took is so vital and important for so many reasons, but one explicitly that Luke writes about this three times in the book of Acts. Not once or twice, but three times. Once in chapter 9 and once in chapter 22, but also in chapter 26. And For most of us who have been believers for any amount of time and are familiar with this scripture or one like it in the book of Acts, it is common knowledge for us to understand that there is a U-turn here about how Paul's life was completely changed on that Damascus road on that day. But what most of us don't understand, and for the sake of Missions Month as well, I want to emphasize today that there wasn't just one U-turn and one gospel U-turn on this road. There was actually two. And I want to show you that double U-turn today. In fact, I want to put them together and connect them. It's the main idea, what I want to accomplish today in this sermon, is I want to connect Paul's U-turn to Jesus with Paul turning others to Jesus. Um, Again, there are three renditions. I chose Acts 26 because I think the mission's emphasis of his conversion are more specific and detailed than any other two. So let me just unpack them one at a time, just two points. First is this, Paul turns to Jesus himself. And 
If you know anything about the context in the first 11 verses before what we read today, Paul is standing before King Agrippa. Now, he's got a long journey that has brought him here. I mean, he's been in two different places, imprisoned for two years in two different times, and he's gone through a conspiracy to have him killed. He's gone to imprisonment and all kinds of things just to be able to get to this point. But he's standing before King Agrippa and Bernice, and he is going to, according to verse 12, he gives a defense. It's, I mean, verses 1 and 2, not 12. He's giving an apologetic. He's going to defend his faith. So here's what's happening. Paul is going to defend his faith about being a Christian, what it means to be the, a Christian, and in doing so, he in turn is going to give the gospel to King Agrippa. In verse 4, if you look in the text, I want to point out some things. And this is Paul's life B.C., I call before Christ. You have to realize that when he gives the backstory here, he's standing in front of King Agrippa, but the story he's going to relate about the U-turn that he took in his life happened 27 years earlier. Okay? So he's going, to, he's going to do this. First thing he's going to do is going to tell you, before he met Christ all those years ago, what was his life like? And I want you in your mind, put in your mind, that it was a lifestyle. He's not just remembering events. He's not just remembering certain things that happened, he's going to tell you this is the way he lived every day of his life. Okay? He makes that phrase very, or that concept very understandable. He says in verse 4, he says, this is how I lived from my youth. Verse 5, he says, this is how it was, and he uses the phrase, from the first. He says in verse 4 that this was my manner of life, the Greek word bio. We get biography from. He says, let me tell you my life story before Jesus came into it. It's an autographical, autobiographical sketch of how Paul, or at that time Saul, lived his life. In fact, he says in verse 5, I have lived. I have lived this way, he says. This is all he knew. This is how he brought up. This is the way he lived every day. And then he gets very specific on his past. He said, I I live this way according to the strictest sect of the Pharisees. Strictest is superlative in the original. It means this is the strictest of the strict. Nobody was more conservative. Nobody was more religious in Judaism than me. No one was more determined, more fervent, more obsessed, more devoted and in his mind to God in Judaism than he was. Can I interject a thought as you're listening? Do you know it is possible that even for you being here today, that you can be extremely religious and at the same time be completely lost? Let me say it again. You can be extremely religious deeply devoted, but entirely lost. It is possible that you can think and believe in your heart. Paul says later on this text, I was convinced, he says. I was convinced in my mind. He thought that what he was doing and how he was living was actually serving God. But in the reality of it, he was serving himself and Satan. In fact, he talks about that U-turns are just that. They're turning from the power of Satan to God. It's possible that you could be here this morning, and like Paul or Saul at the time, you, don't even, you have no idea or even understanding that you need a gospel U-turn. If you would have talked to Paul 
on the day before the Damascus Road, he would have said, I don't need a U-turn. I don't need to turn around. I know God. I've known God since I was a kid. I've grown up with God. I went to synagogue. I'm faithful. I'm devoted. Are you kidding? I'm spending my whole life worshiping and serving the one true God. He would have never believed, not even for a second, that he needed his life completely turned around. And I say that because of this, because so many in our culture, and can I say, and so many in our churches, maybe so many in Hamilton, maybe so many here today, see, you are deeply religious. We live in a community that's very inundated with Catholic churches. And I've talked to Catholic people, not only them, but them in particular. And, and I've talked to people who go to Mass Every Sunday. In fact, I talk to older people my age or older that went to Mass when they were growing up and still do it times every day. And they try to go through the sacraments and they take communion. And they're very serious about it. It's their way of life. It's how their parents brought them up. It's how they have brought their children up. And they're very devoted to it. I've also talked to many Baptists. Many Baptists who grew up Baptist and it was their way of life and their parents brought them and every time the doors open and faithfully thank you for those of you who are still doing that till this day I was brought up my youth pastor told me this here's the motto Pastor Walker for you as you go to college and seminary I was Baptist born and I was Baptist bred and when they put me in the grave I'll be Baptist dead (laughs) and that's how I was brought up but can I tell you this you can be devoted to Catholicism, you can be radical about attendance in the Baptist church and still be completely lost. Because being religious doesn't guarantee being righteous. Did you know that? Being strict does not equal being saved. Not necessarily. Paul was sincere. He was. And I know a lot of people who are sincere about this denomination and this religion and this belief, but do you understand that you can be sincere and at the same time be sincerely wrong? You can be. Paul says in verses 9 through 11, I myself, he says, was convinced that I ought, and the word is D-E-I in the Greek, it's a word that means must, it means it was necessary, Paul said, because of my view of God and my lack of understanding of Jesus, here's how I thought. I thought I had to persecute Christians. I thought I had to run them down. And he lists all the things that he thought being devoted to God was all about. He says, I shut up men and women in prison in those verses. He says, I traveled to other cities to do it. I persecuted them. I even got the unique authority from the chief priests and the religious leaders to hunt down Christians no matter where they were. He says, and when they... We're put to death, that's a capital punishment, and you blaspheme like Jesus, quote-unquote, they thought Jesus blasphemed because he claimed to be God, the Son of Man, the Messiah. See, when you committed a capital crime, those who are members of the Sanhedrin had a black and a white pebble. The black was guilty, the white pebble was acquittal, and you would cast your pebble on the floor, and the majority of the pebbles were the determination of your life or death. And Paul said when they did that for Christians in Jerusalem, I was there, I cast my pebble, and here's what he says, I've always put the black pebble out there. Because you know why? Because I thought that's what God would want me to do. We would call him today, Paul, we would have called him a religious terrorist. He did that for Stephen. 
and I'm sure for many, many others. He said this. He says, I went to the synagogues and I punished them. And he says, often I did this. And synagogue punishment was being flogged. Being flogged was that you were tied to a post and you would get 39 lashes. Romans had no number limitation. Jews did, out of mercy. 39 lashes. Paul himself, when he became a Christian, got that five different times. But he would have people flogged publicly and have brutalized. Why? Because he thought that's what it meant to be on fire for God. And the Bible goes on to speak of the things he says, I was raging in my fury. See, Paul was obsessed with God. It just wasn't the true God. It wasn't Jesus. Five years ago, my wife worked it out that her and I could go to Israel. And I stood on Mount Carmel, near where they think Elijah made the sacrifice and they called down the fire from heaven. But if you look out over that wonderful, amazing view, you see a little road snaking around and going off in the distance where you can't see it anymore, and that is the road to Damascus. And see, I, I stood on that mountain, I looked out, and I said, I, I don't know obviously where, but I've seen the road that Paul was on when he was going to Damascus to continue what he thought was and what he was convinced of was the right thing. But you know what's more important than seeing the road is the fact that you might come to the realization tomorrow, today I should say, that you are on that road. Not literally, but spiritually. See, there are a lot of people, maybe even some here today, see, you're on that road. And you think, you know what, I'm sincere, I really believe this, and I want to do the right thing, and I try to be nice, and I try to be this, and I try to be that. See, Paul was on the wrong road, going the wrong way, and he didn't know it. What he really needed to do was make a U-turn and start down his Jesus journey. But he never had done that and didn't know that he needed to. Let me define it now. Christian people are people who have made a U-turn, but specifically a U-turn about Jesus. See, Saul went from anti-Jesus to pro-Jesus, and one day... He went from fighting Jesus to following Jesus on that road. A gospel U-turn is a turn from having no Jesus in your life to having Jesus be your life at the center of it. And you might say, oh, Pastor Walker, that's not me because it's not that I have no Jesus in my life. I mean, I know who he is. Hello, am I at church today? By the way, yeah, I have my Bible I got Jesus in my life to some degree. Now, I'm not talking about Jesus on the periphery or the margins of your life. A gospel U-turn are people whose entire life have been changed by believing in Jesus as Savior and Lord. See, before he was saved, he had this way of life. It was his whole life given to it. And what happened when he got saved was he got a completely new way of life. It wasn't just an event. It wasn't just a thing that happened to him and he went on his way completely the same. No, he changed from one way of life to a completely other way of life. I mean, it was completely polar opposite. And just like his previous life filled everything and he was obsessed with this, now he knows Jesus by faith and now his life is completely obsessed in another way. Paul, can I say it to you, 
is not standing before Agrippa defending being a Christian because he was going around telling people when he died he went to heaven. Now that is true. But that's not what got him in trouble. You know what got him in trouble? He was telling people that there was one true God and his son Jesus Christ was the Messiah, the universal Lord and King of the world, including over you, Agrippa, and even over Caesar. And it was getting him in a lot of trouble because it had changed his entire life. Listen, a gospel U-turn is not, hear me, is not just, it is this, it is a change in your destiny. You were once going to hell, and now you're going to heaven. It is that. But can I tell you, it's far more than that. For Paul, it just did, it changed his destiny, but it also changed his direction. It changed his desire. It changed his deeds. He used to persecute. Now he is proclaiming Jesus. It radically altered, revolutionized every single thing about him. And it all happened the day when he had, in his words, these are his words, I had a heavenly vision. He's on this road going the wrong way, thinking he's doing the right thing, perhaps like some of you today. You think that everything between you and God is really good, and it was as far from good as it possibly could be. And suddenly the light shines, and the Bible says that it's brighter than the sun. When Jesus was transfigured, the Bible says the same thing about his face. And when Jesus appears in front of him, reflecting his glory to him who is the image of God, it changes everything in his life. He not only has the heavenly vision, but he hears the heavenly voice because Jesus, he says, he says, listen, he says the most important question that anyone's ever asked. He says, who are you, Lord? You couldn't ask a more important question than that one. And then Jesus in Aramaic, which is a dialect of Hebrew, says to him the three most important life-changing words that Paul ever heard, that he never believed in a second of his life that he would ever hear them because he didn't think it was real. I am, not I was Jesus, I am Jesus, meaning who I am, I died, I rose again, and everything you're fighting against is the truth, Saul. I am Jesus. It had to blow his mind. It had to completely eradicate and knock down to the ground his whole framework of his whole life. Everything he thought, everything he had lived for, all those years, everything he was pouring his life into, giving up time with people and having people hate his guts for all he was doing, he realized in a moment it was all for nothing. And that moment was Jesus. But can I tell you, Paul's heavenly vision changed his earthly vision. Seeing Jesus changed how Paul saw himself and how he saw others. Paul did not settle for, I just saw Jesus from heaven, and someday because of that I will be with Jesus in heaven. And between those two things... I'll just live an easy life and take it for nothing or for granted and just live how I want. No, that's not how he lived his life. See, the heavenly vision gave him a new earthly vision. He says, you know what? I've been given mercy, but I've been given mercy for a mission. He's going to tell us. In other words, I've been pardoned for a purpose. And that's exactly what the scriptures say happened. Jesus says, Saul, Saul, 
Why are you persecuting me? You persecute my people. You're perse-. And then he says this, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. A goad was a long rod or stick, and it had sharp ends on all of it, and they used it to prod cattle or animals along to get them moving and stop fighting against the master. And here's what he says, that's what you've been doing, Saul. I've been trying to get you to see who Jesus is I've been trying to get you to give your whole life to him, change your direction, take a gospel. And see, you're just fighting it. And see, perhaps God brought you here today because your whole life, your parents have been telling you about Jesus. You went to church. You attended vacation Bible school. You may even come to the Christian school. You've been to church. You've heard sermons. And years pass and years pass. And God's taking the goad and he's prodding you and he's moving you. And he's trying to get you to understand, see, your whole direction, you're going in the wrong way. What you think is important in life and how do you live your life and what life is even about and the meaning of it? He goes, if you have ears to hear, you're wrong. Your sin is taking you further from me, not closer to me. Paul had to come to the realization that Jesus was who he was and he actually did what he said he did. And he was saved that day. It was a day of conversion. But that's not all. And here's the connection. Paul, in this text, makes it very clear for him, and I believe all of us, because Scripture teaches other places, 1 Timothy 1.16 and other places, that Paul's salvation experience is paradigmatic, which means he's a paradigm. He is, his word, a pattern of all those who will believe in the future. And by that I mean this, Paul was saved to be sent. Can you look at the text? I'm delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, listen, to whom I am now sending you. See, your past was you were sending, the chief priests were sending you to be anti-Christian. Now, as Jesus, I'm sending you to give people the gospel U-turn story that I'm giving you. In other words, you are pardoned for a purpose. You are saved to be sent. And let me make it clear, not saved to be safe, because he tells them up front in every one of these stories, all three of them, that you're going to suffer, you're going to have all kinds of problems. So you're not saved to be safe. You're not saved to be seated, by the way. He didn't save you that you could come in church every week as good as that is and soak it up and do nothing. He didn't do that. That's not what salvation is for. Not saved to be safe or saved to be seated, but saved, not saved to be successful. As good as that might be. No, you are saved to be sent. You know how I know that? Well, not only does he explicitly say it, but he uses commission language. In verse 16, here's what Jesus says to him. Now that you're saved, listen, the interval between salvation, conversion and commission were seconds. He didn't have to wait. He says, rise and stand on your feet. That very same language was used in Acts 8.26 when Jesus, the Holy Spirit, tells Philip, rise and go to the road on Gaza because I want you to win the Ethiopian eunuch. Chapter 10 and verse 20, Peter, rise and go because I want you to reach Cornelius, the Gentile. Acts 22.10, Acts 9.6, Acts 9.11, Ananias, rise and go to the street called Straight because I want you to reach Saul of Tarsus. Rise and go. Rise and stand on your feet. See, these are commissioning terms. And what we have often 
too often done in our Christian lives, in our circles, as we have separated conversion and commission. And Jesus would say, no, you reconnect them, please. That you are saved to be sent. That I showered my mercy on you to prepare you for mission. That's what it's about. In the text, if you look at it with me, in verse 16, he uses the word at the beginning and the end of that verse. It's the word appeared. Jesus says, I've given you a revelation, a divine revelation. I appear to you now today. And he says, now at the end of the verse, I will appear. And between the today's appearing and the future appearings, read the rest of the book of Acts and you'll see many of them. He says, here's why I've appeared to you today and I'm going to appear to you in the future. You know why? You know why I came into your life? So that you could just be happy that when you die, you go to heaven. That is nothing. He doesn't say anything about that. But you know what he says? Because I'm sending you. I'm sending you to the Gentiles. I'm sending you. And then he uses four infinitive phrases. He says, to make you a servant and a witness. That's the first one. He says, to open their eyes. See the all? T-O. To turn them from darkness to light, from Satan to God. And then he says, so they can, it's literally to receive forgiveness and an inheritance. Those are the purposes. This is why I saved you. I did not save you just so that your eternal destiny is secure. That's part of it, but actually almost more of a result of it. The purpose of it is, see, you get a U-turn because other people need a U-turn. That's what he's after. So I would say this morning to you, brethren, it's time for us to rise. It's time for us to rise and stand on our feet. It's time for us to reconnect the commission and the conversion. It's time for us to rediscover that we have been saved to be sent, that we have a pardon with a purpose, and that our U-turn, the Damascus Road that we were on, and if you're saved, how God has turned you around and brought repentance into your life, will result in the U-turn of others. And Paul knew fully what he was talking about. When Jesus says these four infinitives to him, he has to think, that was me. See, Jesus is sending Paul because here's the reality of lost people, and you might be one of them today, but if they're not, maybe you know people who don't know Jesus. Can I tell you? They are ignorant of the fact that they even need a U-turn because that's why people are sent to them. Paul was sent to them because most people in the world don't know they need Jesus. They don't know they need to turn around. They don't even know they're going on the wrong, in the wrong way. They don't know it. So here's what, here's what lost people are. They are ignorant of the fact that they even need a U-turn. And why are they ignorant? Well, he says the next one, because they're blind. That's why we need to go to them. Their eyes are closed. To open their eyes, he says. They're blind. And the reason they're blind is because they're in darkness. That's all they know. They don't know anything different. They've never seen the light. You know, if you're blind and you turn the light switch, it won't change anything. Not until the light gets in you. And that's what we need to do. Can I say it? That's what we've been saved to do. We've been saved to turn the lights on for people. That God may do His work of grace in their hearts and overcome their blindness. 2 Corinthians 4 says, the God of this world has blinded their eyes, lest they see Jesus, who is the glory of God, and the image of God. 
But then it says in verse 6, but the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, a creation illusion, he says, has shown in our hearts. But why? Why has God let the light shine in our darkness? Here's why. So that we can give the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You know what, why we get to see Jesus? We saw Jesus, metaphorically, not like Paul, but we saw him in the scriptures, and the light came in, and God moved us from darkness to light. Why? Why? So we could reflect that light to others who can't see him. Do you know the people that you work with at your job? Most of them can't see him. They're blind to it. They are bound in their sin. And it's worse than that. Not only are they blind, but they are bound. They are not under God's authority. They are under Satan's. And God says, see, they need a U-turn in the worst of ways. They're ignorant that they need it. They're blind and dark, and they're going down a road and they can't even see. Imagine driving with your eyes closed. And they are under the authority of Satan himself. And then he says a very moving statement. He says, to receive forgiveness and a place. You know what? God says, let me tell you, theologically that's all true. But let me tell you on a personal note, they are outside God's forgiveness. Listen. And they are outside God's family. And they really don't have anyone in their life, vertically or horizontally, that even really truly cares for them. So they're blindly searching for truth and satisfaction and happiness and when they try to find it in someone else's bed or at the end of a needle or at the bottom of a bottle or in some car in their garage or an attainment behind their name. See, they're, try- they're going down this road blind thinking all these things are going to work for them and there really isn't anyone who's caring about them. There are people who are using them so that they can get ahead. There are people who, all those things, go- and they don't know it and they can't see it and they don't know that there's anything else. Here's, here's what God says. You know how, why I rescued you from Satan? You know how, why I shined the light of God's glory and you saw Jesus for who he was? You know why I did all of that for you? You know why I gave you forgiveness? You know why I made you part of a family? You know why? So that you could do the same for others. Can I close with this? Paul rehearses that and says to Agrippa in verse 19, And when I saw the heavenly vision and I heard the heavenly voice, here's what I did. I wasn't disobedient to it. See, when he talks about the vision, you notice what he says? He doesn't talk anything about how it saved him, although it did. But you know what the heavenly vision primarily was to him? It wasn't just turning from hell to heaven. It was. It changed his whole purpose in life. Because you know what he says? I wasn't disobedient. Here's how I proved I was obedient. I started to declare Jesus, and I did it here, and then I did it here, and I did it here, and I went in verse 20, and he says, I went around, and then he uses those words again. I told people they need to turn to God. I told people they need to repent. And you know why I could tell them? Because that's what he did for me. And God came to me, and I was obedient. I was obedient. I saw my commission as part of the reason why he saved me. And I obeyed. When I was growing up, they used to have a little statement, you can be so heavenly minded, you are no earthly good. It's a bunch of hogwash. Paul was so heavenly minded when he saw Jesus that he became extremely earthly good. And I would tell you this, the more you see Jesus and the more you're in his presence and the more through the word of God that he reflects God's glory off of the face of Jesus, 
who is the image of God. And the more, listen, the more you should love people and love the gospel and love lost people and be with them and seek to have them have the U-turn that you've experienced. Paul closes in verse 22, and he says this, that the Christ might suffer, and that being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people, and he says, and to the Gentiles. And to this day, verse 22, I've had help from God, and so he says, so I stand here. You remember what Jesus told him when he first got saved? Rise and stand on your feet. You know what Paul says 27 years later? Jesus told me to stand up for him, and I want you to know I'm still doing it. I'm still doing it. I have not forgot one moment of my life since Jesus saved me and turned me around on the Damascus Road why he did it. And I've gone to prison for it, and I've been flogged for it and stoned for it, and eventually they would take his life for it. But here's what he says. You know what? I've kept those things together my whole life. And, feel, and, and Agrippa, why I'm standing in front of you is because Jesus told me to stand. That's why he saved me. And can I tell you this morning, maybe you and I need to do that. Individually and corporately as church, maybe we need to put back together our conversion and our commission and say, Jesus said, time to stand up for me in your school. Time to stand for me at your job in this community. Yes, we are known for what we stand against, but are we known for what we stand for? The gospel and Jesus and preaching the good news to everyone that we can. Paul said, it's been my life, because that's what Jesus has done for me. Are you obedient like Paul was? Let's pray. A double U-turn. Paul turned around, and the second U-turn is he turned others around. It's that simple. For Paul, it wasn't optional. Actually, part of being saved was being sent. This is Missions Month. And I pray that all the people who attend Faith Baptist Church are saved. But I know that that probably isn't true. And maybe you're here this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed and God brought you here because like the day on the Damascus Road for Saul, He knows how to get your attention the only time in Scripture, Old or New Testament, when names are emphasized by using them twice in a row, like Saul, Saul, Abraham, Abraham, Moses, Moses, Jacob, Jacob, Martha, Martha. You know what? Those people saying that are only saying that for, to get your attention. See, God brought you here because he wants to say and use your name, Lance, Lance. See, I brought you here. I want to get your attention here today. I, I could do it other ways, other times. But I brought you here today, and emphatically, I'm calling out your name. See, Lance, Lance, stop fighting me and start following me. You need to make a U-turn, and maybe you're here today, and you've come to the realization as the Spirit of God takes the Word of God, I've been going down the wrong road. I, I didn't even realize the where, where I was headed, but I recognize I'm going down the wrong road. Being Baptist won't do it. Being Catholic won't do it. Or Presbyterian, Methodist, Lutheran, whatever. No, it's I need a personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going down the wrong road. I need to recognize who Jesus is and what he did for me when he died on the cross for my sins and rose again on the third day. And I want to give my entire life to him. 
I need to do that. I need to make a gospel U-turn today. With no one looking around on the main floor of the balcony, would you say, Pastor Walker, here's my hand. As you close today, in a few moments, would you pray for me? I need to make a gospel U-turn today and completely give my life to Jesus and, and start going the other direction toward him and what he wants, the purposes for my life. Would you just put your hand up real quick and put it down, and I'll pray for you all over the auditorium. Anyone? Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else? Anyone else? Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else? Perhaps you're here as a believer today. You'd have to be honest and say this, Pastor Walker, I think my commission has been disconnected from my conversion. I have not regularly allowed the mercy and grace and kindness that Jesus has shown me in turning me around to give me a passion and desire to be the witness he wants me to be. To be a witness and a servant, that's what Paul's infinitive said. I need to reconnect that every day. I'm on mission with Jesus every day. And the U-turn I've experienced, I need to share with others. And I'll be honest, I have not faithfully done that. But as God has spoken in my heart through his word today, I want to go in a different direction and make that U-turn in my life. Pray for me, Pastor. Would you do that? Just slip your hand up and I'll pray for you also. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? In just a moment, we're going to welcome some new members into our church. And before we do that, we're going to sing a song as we close our service. 440, and so send I you. If you don't know it, we'll learn it together. But if you do know it, we're going to sing it to the Lord. But think about the words. And after the service is over, I'll be down front to anyone who would like to talk more about the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your sovereign kindness for sending your son, Jesus, into the world. And as you sent him, Jesus told his followers, so now I send you. We are saved to be sent. It may not be that we go across oceans, maybe just hallways or suburban streets or inner city walkways, but we are sent. I pray for those who today, who for the first time perhaps have come to the realization that they need to make a gospel U-turn, and you've made that very clear to their hearts and minds. I pray that you would turn them completely around by your sovereign grace and kindness, and turn them away from their sin to Jesus, that they might repent and yield completely to his sovereign control. For those of us who have done that and you have worked that wonderful salvation in us, may we also now by your grace work it out. Work it out through means of mission and evangelism to reflect the light. If there's a connection, there should be a reflection. Help us to reflect your glory to a world that's blind. Under satanic authority, God, help us to remember that was once us. May that, with other things and most of all your glory, move us to be on mission with you every day. I pray for those who raise their hand. May that be true of them and to all of us for your glory and for the good of others. We'll thank you for that in Christ's name.
Amen.